Guten Morgen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I think I may have to turn this baby up. Hold on. Check, check, check. One, two, check. One, two. Sorry. Good morning. Sorry, I need to give that a little bit more juice, I think. Check. Sorry about that. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart, Marty Leeds. Look at you, you fatties. Look at you, a bunch of fatties. How was Thanksgiving? Did you guys stuff yourself? Did you get all the good grubbins in? I hope you did. We didn't do anything for Thanksgiving. We actually, I, I think I had a shake for Thanksgiving. I didn't even eat any turkey or anything like that, which was totally fine. I didn't stuff myself, so it was good. Welcome um, to the Sunday service, as you guys know. Oh, first I have to do my appropriate welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. Shalom. Uh, welcome. We do Sunday service every Sunday. At 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, as you guys know, uh, I'm really thankful that you're all here this morning. How many we got? 52 thus far. We already had one person leave. Oh, my Lord. Come on. Uh, I just want to say thank you to Content Safe. They're getting stuff up at BitChute right now. So BitChute is live. Um, Rumble is going. And we're going to be working on Odyssey soon. So thank you to Content Safe for that. Uh, really appreciate that. We are, we are streaming to YouTube and Rockfin. And you can get the podcast on all the places you can get podcasts like I don't know the places you can get podcasts. Spotify, is that a place? Podbean, Apple Music, all those places. You can get this podcast if you want to just listen to it at home. You can also get the service at on the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app, which you can get on the website. You can go to Google Store and get this. And that is the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. And the Sunday sermons are on there. So you can just go onto your... Um, Onto your phone and click on the app, and then there's a little like a uh, little education section there, and I'm in the education section, so that's appropriate. Um, all right, just a few announcements before we get going. <clears throat> Pass the gravy, yes, yes. Mark Brotherson, 420. Thank you so much. Starting the morning off right, that's what I like to see. Thank you so much. We're also doing one day of brightness with the lovely Lindsay. Um, over at Rogueways. Love Lindsay over there. So uh, if you guys get a chance, December 18th, you can go to rogueways.org, rogueways.org, and you can purchase a ticket. We're, I'm going to be doing a whole thing on the winter solstice, and then we're going to be doing a, a Q&A. So it's like an hour and a half presentation and then like 45-minute Q&A, something like that. And so it would be awesome if you guys stopped over there and uh, joined us. It's going to be good. Um, I already know what I'm going to present, and I think it's going to be tasty and delicious. So thank you all for joining me this morning. Heather Lindsay, Small Axe, Robert Smith, Daniel Stearns, Trusika, Thunder Chicken. Uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, got a few thank yous to get out of the way first. Julie Pradal, thank you so much. Got your uh, card and your, or your letter, uh, so envelope. Thank you so much. Javier, thank you so much. Small Axe. If you are the Thank you so much, Small Axe. Uh, did her and Paige, Jason Reed, Michael asked, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate your support every month. I really appreciate that. Mark Brotherson, hey, said thank you, thank you to you twice. So Liz the Iron Maiden, Ruth Scott, uh, Deborah Stiles, the Stille, coming in hot um, every Sunday with a good donation. So thank you. Lucy Short, walking hug. Amor Russell, walking hug. Thank you so much. Daniel Stearns, Aurora and Shane. Appreciate it, Angie A. Jen Bru the Pious, uh, Fee Bartlett. I also want to thank, uh, what's his name, Timothy Portner. I forgot to put his name on there. Timothy, if you're out there, I got your $5, so thank you very much. Gareth Turner, Eric C., 
Thank you so much, and all the new members. Uh, really appreciate all the people that uh, are new, the, all the new members at the site and stuff like that. A couple of new members on Rockfin too, which is really great. I also want to thank Chase, uh, my brother Chase over at Interforce Podcast. Um, me and Chase, we go way back, real tight. Chase and I are real close. So thank you. Sorry. Anyway, Chance, I'm turning up the I'm turning up the levels of derp in this whole thing. We're going deep with the derp. We're turning the derp is going to eleven. Okay, is what we're doing. So, so Chase, my brother. So, so anyway, uh, I also want to say thank you or congratulations to Carrie Liberian. That's confusing. Liberian. She must be a bear. But anyway, she had a daughter. So, and I forgot to say congratulations to her last time. So, congratulations, Carrie. Awesome. You're bringing another fantastic human being onto this plane of existence. So that's that's awesome. So congratulations. That is fantastic. Okay. Good morning, everybody. All right. Let's do it. We're going to do a prayer. Oh, by the way, we're doing, before we do that, we're doing Matthew chapter 2 today. So today we're going to do Matthew chapter 2, A Star in the East. A lot of stuff to cover today. I know I say that all the time, but there's a lot of stuff. I got into this one and be like, oh, this is only 23 verses. This will be real quick and easy. Nope. It was a bunch of damn work for me. I ended up like going over this thing for like hours and hours and hours. So anyway... So that's what we're doing today. Next week, we're going to do, I'm going to do a, well, I think this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a welcome to the church and academy. We're going to go over everything I teach, what what it is that I believe and that we teach here. Um, you know, our perspective on the Bible, perspective on Jesus, pers- you know, what is Gnosis? What is Gnosticism? We're going to go over all those things, sort of like a tenant of the order, tenant of the church kind of thing. Um, so in case somebody has any questions, they can go to this that video. So that's, I think that's what we're going to do next week. And then I also want to do, because of Truth Seeker. He actually asked if I would do a video on some of my favorite books or some of the books that I would recommend, maybe 10, 15, something like that. And I think we'll do that the following week as well. So that's sort of the itinerary, the plan thus far. But first, let's do a prayer. Dear Lord and Father of humankind, forgive our foolish ways. Reclothe us in our rightful mind. In pure lives, thy service find. In deeper reverence, praise. Drop thy still dews of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. Breathe through the heats of our desire, thy coolness and thy balm. Let sense be dumb, let flesh retire. Speak through the earthquake, wind and fire. O oh, still, small voice of calm. And that's by John Greenleaf Whittier. I thought that was pretty good. Very poetic, but it was a nice prayer. So let's do it. You guys ready? Are you guys ready for this? You guys better you guys better be. Yes, I know. Congratulations, Carrie. That's wonderful. So hopefully she is here or she will listen to this. So, okay. Let's do it. Chapter two, guys, we're doing chapter two. So last week we did chapter one and we talked about the 42 generations of Jesus Christ and we, we you know, uh, found out about Emmanuel and we fought, we, we covered the Vesca Pisces and why the number 153 is important and 265, the square root of three, how we found that in the cube and the hexagon and all this other stuff. So basically took apart that first chapter and saw all the stuff that seems to be missing by most modern Christians. We found pi, numerous different ways, you know, talked about why that's important so today we're just going to continue on. So let's do it. Chapter two, um, numero uno. Now, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. 
Um, and so let's just stop there. Actually, let's let's read a little bit and then we'll come back. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For he, we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship this duder. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. It's like, oh, Jesus. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of all the people together, he demanded of where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of, of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Okay, so let's first thing let's do, let's talk about old Bethlehem. Bethlehem, all of, whenever you, once again, whenever you see um, uh, uh, a story in the Bible, stuff like that, right? You go along and all of a sudden you'll get a, you'll get a term, you get a word, you get a name, you get something that's unique. That's the Bible asking you to go into this name and, and figure out what the deeper meaning and the symbolic meaning of this of these names are, okay? So Bethlehem, the first thing we understand is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem has a, a relationship to the house of bread, um, being the Virgin Mary, Virgo the maiden, of course, that's the house of bread. Um, we've gone over that before. I'm not going to highlight that today. But of course, Jesus was born from a virgin. So you see, right away, you see just by word choice and stuff like that, you see there's a connection to astrology. So Bethlehem, Beth means house. It's the first letter, or it's the, excuse me, second letter of the Hebrew Aleph Beth, the alphabet. Beth means house. La, Bethlehem, El is a, uh, El, La is a variation of God. And you can even see this and it says Bethel, the word Bethel, and this is actually even defined in, in the Bible, in the Old, Old Testy, it says there's a holy place. Well, what's a, what's a place? It's a house. What's Beth? It's a house. What's El? El is the Canaanite name for God. So you literally have house of God. That's what you have. Bethel. Bethel. Bethla. Same thing. Bethlehem. Hem. You all, you all know what the hem of a pant is, right? The hem, the, you, know, you basically close it up is what you do. You fold it up and then you sew it and you make it tight. Uh, hem is also surround and restrict the space or movement of someone or something. So you have this thing that Jesus was born in the house of God in the house of God in a hem, a place that restricts movement or something. So what does a house do? When you go into a house, what are you? You're surrounded by a, by a space, you know, some, a, a house, if you will. So right, right now, we already know that basically what scripture is saying is that Christ was born in, a, in the house of God. This is what it's saying. Um, and it goes on just so you know, the house of God. So they're saying, well, what is the house of God? If you go into Revelation, it's like, well, where does God live? God lives in his house. Where is that? It lives in his city. And where's that? Well, the city of God is a cube, okay? As we know, uh, Revelation 21, 16, and the city lieth four square, and length is the breadth, and measure, this, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal, okay? So we're basically told that it's like, okay, God lives in this place, and it's a house. It's a cube. That's where he lives, and so one of the things that they're referencing here is this, the notion that where does, where does God live? Where does Christ live? Ultimately, it's going to be talking about with, within you because what is the cube reference? Up, down, left, right, forward, and reverse, X, Y, Z, and their opposites coming together in a confluence upon the center point within you. And that's all to find the light of Christ within you. This is all about finding Christ within. Now, was, Jesus was born in the city, in the house of God. Of course, that's where he was born. Of Judea in the days of Herod the king. We'll get into Herod the king in just a bit here. Um, Behold, there came wise men from the east. This is symbolic language to basically say when people come from the east, what they're doing is where are they coming from? They're coming from the place in which the sun rose. The sun rises. So whenever you see this idea of it's like Occidental Oriental, they come from the Orient. It's that sort of thing. They're coming from the place in which the sun rises. 
So symbolically, we already know that the East, even in like Native American symbolism, the East is, uh, it's this idea of it's a place from birth, enlightenment, vision, perspective, new beginnings. Why? Well, duh, because that's where the sun rises. So all you have to do is look to the East and be like, oh, there's natural symbolism from, uh, uh, you know, that's going on there. So when you see Matthew here talking about the people from the East, they, they came, there's people from the east, from the house, or from the place where the sun rises, enlightenment, new beginnings, birth. They're going to this place to, you know, recognize the birth of Christ. And where is he from? He's from the house of God. You see what's going on here? We're already, we're, it's like they're already pushing us into the stars. They're already pushing us into the zodiac here. Now we're going to confirm that by the next line. It says, saying, where is he? In Jerusalem, Salem means peace. So it basically just means um, they went to a place of uh, peace. So they went from this, like, oh, he was born in the house of God. He went to this place of peace, and they're from the east. You can see the potent symbolism that's happening here. Now, so it's already referring to the fact that it's like, oh, the wise men came from the east, the place of the sunrise. We're dealing with the sun. Number two, it's a saying, comma, saying, comma, this. Where is, he, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. This whole thing in English gematria equals 365. So this is the, look what's going, so there it is. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. 365. Now, what is your relationship to the number 365? The only relationship that most people have to this number at all is what? The solar year. If you ask somebody, what, is, what does 365 mean? What, what other relationship are they going to have to that number other than what? The solar year, which is what? It's what every single human being that's down here is privy to. Like we, right? It's like everybody experiences the solar year. It doesn't matter where you are. And what is that cycle? 365. So the first thing they're doing here is giving all of these subtle hints like, okay, Oh, born from the east, is where the sun rises. Then literally the next line, what does it tell you about in English Gematria? 365. Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, what is this star in the east? Now, this is something that was covered by Zeitgeist, but most people think that Zeitgeist was like just like Peter Joseph and Acharya asks, is that her name or whatever? Like they just came up with this stuff. There's an entire tradition that talks about this stuff. That's what most people don't know. This is what the Gnostic tradition, this is what esoteric mystical tradition actually covers in depth. Vol voluminous amounts of literature on these things, okay? So right now I'm just showing a graphic from, of, of, um, from Zeitgeist, the movie Zeitgeist. But what it's pointing out is the fact that you have these basically magi, which are, un they gave three gifts. They didn't, there's nothing in there that says there's specifically three magi, but because they gave three gifts, it's assumed that there's three. But this star in the east is actually um, referencing, and I actually saw it last night when I went out to pee. I tried to take a picture of it, but it didn't It didn't go that well because stars were out last night. So you could see Orion. Uh, uh, look this way. The east is right there. I know that that's where the sun is going to rise. It's what, November 27th. We're only a month away from Christmas. This is exactly what happens in the sky. I mean, I could go out like right now and just like, or, you know, at night and see it, right? So right before sunrise, what you actually have is this alignment going on. And like I said, you could go out and look at it right now. So you can see Orion as it's as it's cresting, as it's ascending over the horizon. The three belts, the the three stars in Orion's belt, will point to Sirius, which is considered the star in the east. Why? It's the one of the. If I think it's the brightest star in the sky, but Sirius is a key star in all sorts of myths and things like that. And we, go, I don't even want to go into that. Osiris and that sort of thing. 
the rising of Sirius announced the rising of the um, the Nile flood in Egypt. So, uh, so this star in the east. So, what are they saying? They looked up into the canopy of the stars. They were following astrology. Astrology. That's what they were doing. They were astrologers. They were magi. That's why they're magicians. That's the root of the word. They were following astrology to prophesy when the sun would be born. Now, what did we talk about when we, I think we did this on the, the lecture of symbolism, or maybe it was something, I forget, maybe it wasn't that. I forget which one it was. We talked about where prophecy comes from. Well, prophecy comes from, and even astrologers, like ancient mystical astrologers, will tell you that this is the case. That it, that, that prophecy actually comes from the fact that it's like, oh, you can't, you know, it's not like you can see in the future, but you can see that, hey, guess what? This alignment will happen during the winter. So what he's saying, oh, I'm prophesizing that a star is going to rise in the east and this star, this star right there is going to point to it. Duh. Duh. Of course. Everybody could prophesize that, right? So the, the, the point that they're making here in the language of scripture is they're telling you, it's like, this is astrological. They're, they're counting on God's canopy and the ordination of his, the stars, the order and pattern in which he put the stars and the planets and everything that, you know, in the sky. We're relying on that to announce when Christ is born. And the magi, the magicians, are going to look up into the can. This is all ast- astrological. They're using astrology to announce when Jesus is born. Now, go to most churches today and be like, oh, I'm, an, I'm into astrology and stuff. They're going to throw you out in your ass, more than likely. Yet, what's going on right here? You see the problem? You see the problem? You see the problem? It's a big problem. It's a big problem in fundamentalist, literalist Christianity. This is chapter two. This is chapter two. (laughs) Astrology bad, right? Okay. So, Gamatria bad too, right? Though, you can see exactly what's going on here with the Gamatria. They're specifically telling you through the universal language of mathematics exactly what's going on in Scripture. Exactly what's going on in Scripture. They're talking about the birth of the sun. So they saw a star in the east and are come to worship him. Now this story is actually found, this whole thing is actually referencing, this is kind of off track here, but it's an important thing to, to notice, um, take notice of. Um... Make sure I didn't. Truth Seeker 3142. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, my brother. Um, Carrie, congratulations. I see you there. You're late. What happened? No, I'm just kidding. So, uh, St. Christopher. Is St. Christopher in, like, um, especially in Orthodoxy, they they have this this saint, and his name is St. Christopher, and he's a, what is it called? A cynocephalus? He's a dog-headed dude is literally a saint and it's given the illustration like painted and illustrated as having a dog head now did this saint literally have a dog head did it when he when he went around and like read scripture did he you know it was like when he when he went to poop did he like twirl around a bunch of times to try to find true north or whatever the dogs do so either this is highly symbolic christopher having a dog head or there was actually a saint with the dog head What's the symbolism? Well, what's the head of Canis Major, which is literally canine dog. Major dog is what that means, right? Canis, canine. It's the head of Canis Major is literally the eye or the head is the star Sirius. The exact thing that we're pointing to to find out where Jesus is going to be born on December 25th, right in the sky. So 
we have this this here's a here's another one so there's saint christopher who's referencing sirius that's what the ref that's who the saint is canis major St. Christopher devoted his life to carrying the weak and poor across a river. One night when he was carrying a child, he felt his burden grow heavier with each step. This is the legend around St. Uh, Christopher. When questioned, the child declared that he was Christ and that Christopher was bearing the weight of the world. So there's this story about Christopher and he's carrying the child of Christ across a river. And he's got a dog head. This is all found in astrology, once again. There's Orion, okay? This is exactly what we're talking about. This is in December, of course. This is exactly what you see. You just go right outside. Look to where the sun is going to be rising. You're going to see that those three stars in Orion do point to Sirius. The dog star. The dog-headed god, Christopher. All right? Do point to Sirius. And that does point to where the sun will be rising on December 25th to mark what? A 365-day cycle. The Bible's giving you uh, verifiable astrological information. So, so there's St. Christopher, Sirius, the dog head, where Orion is pointing to on the day in which Christ is going to be born. Now, Christopher carries Christ across a river. What's right above Orion? What's right next to Orion? Aradnus, which is what? The river. It's a big river in the stars. So, either we're going to use our logic, our rationale, and our reason, and our common sense, and we're not going to be complete and utter morons, and we're going to say, well, I'm assuming that they were probably meaning mythology and mysticism and symbolism when they were talking about St. Christopher having a dog head. And it probably has something more to do with, you know, bigger things than literally just Christopher having a dog head. I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think? So there's St. Christopher. There's your uh, river and carrying Jesus. And it's literally those stars are pointing to when Jesus is born. The child, the very child that St. Christopher, Sirius, is carrying across Eradnus. Okay. And you guys know this connection too, right? Um, I'm going to show this one real quick. I'm not going to hang my hat on this, but I am going to show it. So... Yes, Christians need to relearn their Bible. It's about time. It's about time you actually start learning what this book is really all about, kids. <laughs> so there's the three pyramids that, um, and this is this is a, uh, a correlation that was made by, what's his name? Robert Bouval. I think he was the one that made this correlation that the three pyramids are actually pointing to Orion's belt. Now, Orion is one of these, I mean, Orion's belt is a star star asterism. It's one of those stars, the group of stars that actually, you know, help you align where you are in the sky because Orion is so prominent and so big, right? So those three, the, the three pyramids point to Orion's belt. Well, Orion's belt points to Sirius and that points to what? The cycle of the sun. Hence why you would see such an important importance in these stars. Not only are they vibrant, they're very easily detectable, but they're pointing to the cycle, okay? So you see that the Great Pyramids actually reflect that, and that's, um, you know, that's, the, that's the claim, and I think it's a solid claim. I just want to say this really quick, really quick. Once again, I'm not hanging my hat on this or anything like that, but I want you guys to see this. So those are the, those are the and this is going to come in later, this is why I'm showing you right now, um, those are the proportions of the Great Pyramid of Giza. So not only are we going to see that, uh, and we'll see this later on as well, not only are they going to give you astrological 
literally mathematical, verifiable information about exactly what's going on in the scripture. They're also going to give you a bunch of verifiable mathematical sacred geometry as well. Ooh. So the, the Great Pyramid of Giza, top angle in, in whole numbers, in whole numbers, because in Gematria, you're only dealing with whole numbers. Um, top angle, 76 degrees. Bottom angles, base to slope, 52 degrees. Top angle, 76 degrees. Bottom angle is uh, 52. This just happens to be the gematria of, and we'll see this in just a second, the three gifts that the that the Magi brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, equals 76. And those are related to the three Magi that brought these gifts, right? Those three Magi are related to the literally the stars that point to the star in the east in which the Magi came, right? So those three Magi are what? The three stars in Orion's belt that brought three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those three stars in Orion's belt are Alnatak, Alnalam, and Mintaka. Alnatak, Alnalam, and Mintaka, Orion's belt, pointing to Sirius. That equals 52. They're correlated to frankincense, gold, and myrrh, which equals 76. Three gifts, 76. Three magi, 52. What is this? And like I said, I'm just pointing this out because um, it'll come up again later. 52. In 76. Frankincense, Golden Myrrh, Alnatak, Alnalam, Mintaka. You'll actually find this same sort of thing within Let There Be Light as well. I'm not going to go over that. but So there's uh, there's that. So right in the first, I don't know how many lines here, we've got a whole bunch of stuff going on, right? So uh, let's keep moving on. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Why? Uh, now he goes on to say, and he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together and demanded of them where Christ should be born. So in other words, what is being said here, right? He, what's, what's going on, and we'll reiterate this again, we'll revisit this again. What we're finding out is that these people knew that Christ was the Messiah. Just as we covered last time, why did they establish the 42 generations first thing? Because they needed to make sure that everybody knew in this New Testament thing that this dude, this Messiah, this Jesus guy that we're talking about came from their stock came from their line, came from their tradition, came from them. And he's going to come up and he's going to be like, ooh, the Messiah that you were all waiting for, that's me. And then what are we going to find out? They reject him. That's the whole thing. So they waited for their Messiah. Their Messiah shows up. They reject the Messiah. And here we are today. Okay? So the point is, is that they knew what the scripture is saying is here is they knew he was the Messiah. They knew that they were in trouble. And this is why they said when Herod the king, Herod the king, we'll talk about Herod in just a second, when he heard these things, that Christ is going to be born, he was troubled because he knew he was being a dick bag on earth. He was being a sinner. He was full of, you know, etc. Right? We knew the st we know the station of King Herod and his ilk as we'll, we'll go over that again. And all Jerusalem with him. The entire world, if you will, the world age, if you will. All the people around Jerusalem, the hair of the king, they all knew that they were living against the will of God. And now they also knew that this was the Messiah. And they also knew that they were going to reject him. They also were not um, of the mysteries. They were not of the gnosis. They were not of the knowledge. They did not have God's holy knowledge. They didn't know about the astrology. Why? Because the next line tells you. He gathered all these chief priests and scribes together and he demanded where this guy was going to be born because he didn't know. He didn't have the knowledge. He didn't have the knowledge. And now he's going to be like, you're going to tell me where he is. You don't deserve to know, King Herod, nor do all the scribes and the chief priests as we know. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written, 
by the prophet. This is prophesized. And they're going to they're going to reiterate this. Prophecy is being fulfilled, and then it's going to reiterate. He's going to say it again. Prophecy is being fulfilled. That's what's happening. Let's move on. And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out thee shall come a governor and shall rule my people of Israel. This is the this is the prophecy. Oh, out of you know out of Bethlehem, there's going to be this person, the governor. He's going to rule the people. This is Jesus. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Once again, he didn't know. He was not of the knowledge. He's, a, he's a, in other words, in this sort of sense of not inherent sacred and profane, just the sense of you get to choose whether you're going to be sacred or profane. You're either going to choose whether to follow the will of God and not live in sin or the opposite, right? What did these people choose? The opposite. That's why they don't know. That's why, that's why they're not, they don't, they don't, they're like, well, what? When is it? When is the sun going to rise in my life? It's not going to arrive in your life, Herod, because you're a piece of shit, as we're going to find out. As well as all the scribes and the Pharisees and stuff like that. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Once again, they don't know. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't understand God's design. He doesn't understand the gnosis. Then, he's even, then it's even going on to exemplify how much of a freaking liar he is. Okay, so we're, we're getting a very clear case. Uh, we're getting a clear descriptor of exactly who King Herod and the Pharisees and the scribes are, right? So he says, bring me word of where this guy is that I may come to worship him. Now, he actually has no intention of going to worship the actual Messiah that he knows is the Messiah. Otherwise, why would he be troubled? Why would all of Jerusalem be troubled? They know. So bring me word again that I may come to worship him also. He has no intention of worshiping him. He wanted that he wanted to bring me him so I can murder Jesus. I want to kill the light within me because I hate myself so much. When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east, Sirius, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Where was the young child? Where was the child being born? On the horizon. The sun was rising. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy and they're actually going to turn their back on Herod because they're like oh this guy is the, this is the dude this is our guy okay when they were come into the house that's an astrological term house okay they saw the young child with Mary his mother of course we all know the correlation between you know uh, I don't I mean I can go into that but of course the virgin Mary is opposite Pisces Pisces the next the next sign is Aries what, we already covered this. What comes out of the, the Vesca Pisces, but the head in birth? This is what's going on. I'm not even going to cover any of that because we already did that. Um, they saw the young child with his mother and these three magi, which are represented as the, you know, the bringing three gifts, represented as the stars of Orion's belt. They, they fell down and they worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's go, let's talk about the gifts. Why are they bringing... First off, we already did the, you know, the gematria of this and be like, okay, this is what it's related to astrologically. We seem to have some numbers pointing to squaring the circle there in the Great Pyramid of Giza. But just beyond that, what is what are these gifts? Gold is indestructible. We already know that gold is representative of what? The sun. It's the light of the sun. So they're bringing the sun who's rising in the horizon that the stars are pointing to in the sun, in the cycle of the solar year. And they're bringing them what? It's the first thing. It's like, you know, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Gold. Gold is indestructible. It's one of the great advantages of this precious metal. It's 
par excellence. That's why gold manages to retain its value over times, over you know the times of financial, political, social, and cultural crises. Why does gold maintain its qualities? Because God created gold. It's indestructible. Gold can sit at the bottom of the ocean in a treasure chest, and it's good the day if you know the ship sank, kind of thing. So it's representing what? Indestructibility, incorruptibility, eternality. That's what they're bringing this. And that's what Jesus is, right? Frankincense is, is literally from Frank, means noble and true. Well, what's Christ? He's noble and he's true. In this case, probably signifying pure or the highest quality. So they're bringing, they're bringing the light of the world who's rising on the horizon. They're dictating exactly astrologically when this is occurring. And then they're bringing this golden light of the sun, gold and things of the highest quality. Why? Because that's what Christ is. And then myrrh is incense and perfumery. Um, I just want to say this quick. Frank frankincense actually is uh, posh, they, It's actually the name is olibanum, libanos. There's different ways of saying that, I guess, depending on whether you use Latin, blah blah blah, Greek. But olibanum is it's postulated that it's called libanus because it's derived from the word white. What's white? Purity. Purity. Okay. Olibanum is actually a reference to, there it is again, frankincense is known as olibanum, high quality incense, it's high quality. Um, it has a reference to oil. This is where the word actually derives from. It says the O may have come from Latin olum, literally oil, from the Greek, you know, so it's, it's a reference to oil. Well, that's exactly what Christ is. He is the oil. He is the chrysum. He's the oil. The fluid oil or marrow which flows down the spinal cord comes from the upper brain. We're going to see this. It's going to relate to this. Aries. It's coming from Aries, in other words. And then scripture will tell us this again. Of the most high and known in physiology as ovum or generative seed. So basically this life essence which creates the human form of corruptible flesh. When this oil is refined, transmuted, lifted up, raised, it becomes so highly vitalized that it regenerates the body and it overcomes the last enemy. Death. So by lifting up the Son of Man within us, the seed, the Word, the Savior, the oil, the oil. That's why Crisco oil comes from chrism. The oil, Christ is the spinal cord, is the salt, which is mentioned in the Bible, and the Savior is the seed, or Jesus. So the point is, is this frankincense has a reference to oil. And that's your chrism, your oil, the anointed. Okay? Um, and myrrh has a bunch of uh, like health benefits and stuff like that. So um, just to once again reiterate this idea, myrrh was used in ancient Israelite temple worship as an ingredient in the holy anointing oil for consecration of priests. So as we just said, frankincense. So they're going to literally uh you know announce christ's birth and things like that and you know go to worship him and stuff like that they're bringing him gifts and two of the things that they're mentioning are used or a reference to what the anointing and what is christ the anointing what's christ within you the anointing so all of those things highly highly symbolic um make sure i didn't miss anything here Are you still with me? 129 watching. Thank you all for being here. 129, that's the, what is that? I don't know. <laughs> no, if you add all the primes up to 29, I think it equals 129. That's, there it goes. That's not bad. Okay. Um, oh, I don't want to miss anything. I think I missed something. Sorry. Yes. Okay. So, um, so there's frankincense, golden myrrh, and being warmed, so being. Oh, so this is 
Magi are there bringing him the gifts, right? We already got the astrological scene. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. So once again, now Joseph um, is, uh, or is, is this is Mary. E- either way, you have the parents of, of Jesus in this sense, right? Speaking and communicating to God in, in a dream. This is what happened with Joseph, right? He was raised from his sleep. Remember that? So now you have Mary literally in, you know, in direct communication with God in this sort of sense. And God warned him. He's like, hey, you got to get out of here. Um, don't return to Herod because he's going to kill you. Okay. Even though Herod said, he's like, oh, bring this guy. I want to worship him. He's a liar. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared, appeared to Joseph in a dream once again, saying, arise. Saying, comma, arise, comma. What's arise? We've covered this numerous, numerous times before. It's a variation of the word Aries. Arise, Aries. What does the what does the sun do in spring? It arises in Aries, and this is when spring happens. Everything sprouts up. Spr- you know, everything comes alive. It arises. Okay. What's Aries on you? It's your head. What are we talking about here? We just got through. All of this stuff referencing oil and the oil and the frankincense and the olibanum and the myrrh that's used in the oil for the consecration of what? For that oil to rise where? To your Aries in your head. What is literally the next line? The second, two lines later. When they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord, the angle of the light from the Lord. This is Kabbalah. This is what's happening to Joseph right now. Kabbalah. Receiving. It's a gift. No different than when St. John, the first line in St. John, uh, Revelation that says, what does it say? Something I received a a sign signified by St. John, that sort of thing. It's literally God coming down and being like, here, here's some information to you. This is what Kabbalah is, receiving, gifted. This is what's happening to Joseph. He's receiving direct information from God. This is all a reference to the fact that what is Joseph? What's Mary? What's Christ? They're all enlightened. They're enlightened figures. Arise, Aries, and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And thou there, until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So God's like, dude, Herod is no good, okay? When he arose, he took the child, mother by night, and departed into Egypt. Okay, they went into Egypt. That's their big thing. Now, uh, this is all, once again, symbolic. Um... And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, comma, saying, comma. We'll read that again. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, comma, saying. How many times are they going to be, and they'll repeat this, they'll be like, oh, just so you know, prophecy is being fulfilled, okay? Just so you know. We already iterated that with the whole 42 generations. To, to link Jesus to these people, now we're going to tell you it again. Prophecy's being fulfilled, okay? Out of Egypt have I called my son. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now most, pe- now, most Christians just think that this is just, well, oh no, he was just in Egypt and then Joseph got a dream. God is like, hey, we got to we just go. Th-. No. What is, what is being referenced here? Out of Egypt have I called my son. What's happening here? This is a reference to the fact that Jesus Christ is a recapitulation of the Son God motif. 
this notion of the solar sun god myth, the, the um, there's a bunch of different terms for it, but the sun god myth, the solar god, whatever you want to say, that within a lot of these ancient cultures, you will find a lot of the exact same archetypes, themes, motifs, ideas, stuff like that, attached to all of these different hero figures. Now, they're not all the same. No, no one's saying it's like a perfect carbon copy. No, but what you do have is the exact literally the exact same ideas being recapitulated, reiterated across the world. And this is what comparative mythology will do if you if you take it seriously. You will find that a lot of these figures seem to be the same sort of thing. We looked at it with Fanes, Mithras, um, Buddha, Buddha has a lot, a lot of the same. I cover that in the book. Adonis, Tammuz, Dionysus, Attis. Out of Egypt have I called my son. What Okay, right now, what do we call, when we map and track the sun, what do we call that the, the base period of that? An hour. We call it the hours of a day. Literally to map and track the sun, which the Bible just gave us the, literally the, the cyclical, um, the, the cycle. It's given us all the, the, the astrology to it. And not only that, they're giving us the math to map and track the sun. Literally telling you in this, you know, being like, hey, there's a star in the east and these three guys and they're going to follow and they're going to go and worship where he is, which is the horizon, which is the sun. Then they're going to say, out of Egypt have I called my son. Who is the sun in Egypt? Horus. What do we call the hours of the sun of the day? Hours, which comes from what? Horus. The sun sets and what happens? The, sun, the, the, the antithesis of Horus in the Egyptian mythology is set. Well, set, the, anti, the Antichrist, the anti-Horus, if you will, is killing Horus. And that's why the sun sets. The very lang- if people that are all like, Whoa, you got to stay away from the occult. The occult is bad stuff. You're speaking the occult every time you even mention the sun. Do you know that? Do you know that? The sun, uh, uh, what hour is it? What? You mean what Horus is it? When does the sun set? You mean when does the Antichrist bring the light down from under the horizon? You're literally speaking occult language just by mentioning the sun. I love Christians that are like, I'm not going to touch the occult. Well, don't use the names of the week then because the names of the week are based on what? Like Norse gods, right? Like Thor, Thor, Thor's day and Freya day or Frida day, whatever. And Wednesday, all of these, ter- the, those are, so don't, do anything on like Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, because those are all referencing some pagan shit. (laughs) You see how absolutely silly it is? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Out of Egypt have I called Horus my son, which is exactly what we're talking about here. Moses... Acts 7.22, so basically you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then it goes into that book of Acts. And what do they want to tell you about in Acts? The Moses, Mosey, the, the first guy that had received the, you know, message from on high that crafted stuff into rock and stone tablets and stuff like this guy, apparently was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Out of Egypt have I called my Horus. Why is there a trinity in Egypt? Do you know how many you know how much stuff within Christianity is once again people will come along, it's all ripped off from like pagan stuff 
Or like, yeah, the themes in Christianity you can find in all these like, and then people be, and then Christians will get all up in arms and be like, no, our stuff's not pagan. Actually, it's not pagan at all. It's not Christian. It's not pagan. It's God's. Period. Pagans don't own shit. Neither does neither do Christians. God owns everything. The Trinity is something that's inherent within creation itself. That's why you find a Trinity, three becoming one in Egypt, and you also find it where? In Christianity. Why? Because it's the same thing. <laughs> Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he was saw that he was mocked of the wise men, so the wise men, they turned their back on Herod because Herod is a walking pile of human excrescence. And he was exceedingly Exceeding wrath, he was pissed off, and so what did he do? So, this, so King Herod he sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which was which had which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Whew. that's uh, that's some heady stuff right there, huh? Oh, wait, wait, before I say this, before I say, go, I forgot one thing. Going on the Egypt thing, out of Egypt I have called my son, all this other stuff. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. What were the Egyptians really good at? Math, math and geometry, architecture. Clearly, clearly, they were artisans and stonemasons of the most epic, you know, it was just insane. Last, Ginger, are you hacking up a... My dog's hacking up here. Last Sunday, we covered what? The 42 generations to Jesus Christ. 14, 14, and 14. 42 generations to Jesus Christ. And what did we find in Egypt? The 42 principles of the Egyptian Mot. So the first chapter was like 42. And where do we find this number most significantly when it comes in, when you look into the mystery schools and the, you know, the canon of, you know, of, of course, uh, epic, you know, classic mythology being Egyptology, obviously, what are you going to find? You're going to find the 42 ideals of Matt. And what was the first chapter? 42 generations to Jesus Christ. So we linked all of last chapter to Egypt as well. And here we are doing it again in this one. Okay. Sorry. Forgot that. Then Herod was found out, the wise man mocked him, he was pissed off, he's like, let's go kill all the children under the age of two in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof. He was a genocidal maniac, murderer. Hey baby, can you grab Hacky McHackerson there? <laughs> um, so then it goes on to say this. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by the by the by uh, Jeremy the prophet saying. So we'll get into this in a second. So, uh, sorry, let me go back here. So we already saw before, it was like, oh, the prophecies being fulfilled. We already saw those. And then it says again, oh, guess what? Prophecies being fulfilled. And then in the first chapter, they're like, oh, these 42 generations, this is where Jesus is from so that we know that he is the Messiah. And then when Herod and all the chief priests, then they found out when Jesus was born, they were all pissed off because they knew they were guilty. They knew he was the Messiah and they were going to reject him. The, the Bible is repeating all of this stuff because they want you to make the link, and this is what most modern Christians don't do at, at all, that to make the link that prophecy is being fulfilled. They are setting up the, the what do you want to say, the antithetical nature of the disparity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're like, look, this, they were these, the, the ruffians, right? They were waiting for a Messiah. 
Their whole religion is about it. This Messiah is now showing up. We're going to reiterate how many times the prophecy will be fulfilled and we're going to see how they reject them. And that's what, that's what everything is going on right now in this, in this good book. So, you know, when you look at like Christian Zionists, that doesn't make any sense at all. It just doesn't. I mean, if you read the first two chapters of the, your good book there. So the prophecy is being fulfilled. And this is even what it says. Uh, Jeremy's about to give a prophecy, and I'll talk about that in just a second. Matthew 2.18 is what we're reading. The verse is quotes from the book of Jeremiah to show that this event was predicted by the prophets. The prophecy is like, hey, when the Messiah shows up, this and this and this and this has to happen and this has to happen and this has to happen and then this has to happen and this has to happen. And guess what? New Testament is coming in and saying all that stuff happened. That's what's going on trying to dumb this down a little bit or make it I'm, I'm dumbing it down a little bit but you get the point so herod so we found out that herod is a genocidal murderer that's who he is that's who that's who wanted to kill jesus somebody that hated christ hated christ now herod is a monster as we just saw the bible depicts herod as a monster who tried to kill baby jesus and when he couldn't find him killed every infant in bethlehem and all the coasts thereof Literally just go out and kill all the two. They wanted to reject their own Messiah so much that he committed genocide. Think about it. Think about that. King Herod is uh, just an unbelievable pile of shit for a human being. King Herod, the great pile of crap, is really what he's, King Herod the Great. He beheaded St. John. He was the guy that was like, he ordered the beheading of St. John, the Baptist, that guy. Uh, murdered all the children under the age two. He married his brother's wife. His daughter-in-law danced before him. Literally incestual kind of stuff. Danced before him. And this pleased King Herod. He was like, ooh, dance more. It's, you know, He's like all aroused by it. This guy is a piece of crap, man. He, when this daughter, that his daughter-in-law that danced before him and aroused him. This was like incestual stuff. This is like his family. The daughter danced before him. was like, ooh, daddy. And this guy was all of a sudden. And then he was like, hey, daughter, what would you like? Since you're arousing me and pleasing me so much and I'm really enjoying this, what would you? What can I do for you? What would you like? And do you know what the daughter said? She's like, I want the head of St. John the Baptist on a platter. That's what she said. And, and, and King Herod was like, cool, let's do that. That sounds good. Make it so, number one. That's what he said. So, what what's what's being established here what is the bible doing with a big broad paint stroke right now is painting these people as exactly what they are some of the most wicked and depraved piles of human excrescence you've ever seen in your life they're incestual they're you know his daughter's dancing before him he was an idiot he didn't know even the functions of the stars you know he was exceeding exceeding wrath he was you know jealous he hated the light of all mankind hated the way the truth and the life killed all the children under two his daughter danced before him get you know couldn't even go kill saint john himself had to order somebody else to do it because he's such a weak little piece of crap this is who the bible is painting for you so you exactly know who the ruffians are and i think they're doing it pretty well king herod is you know you you, you get to see what kind of dude this is right away Go kill all the children under two. Ooh, interesting. Didn't your didn't your guys' stuff say not to kill anybody? I don't know. Maybe it's some fine print. Maybe it's some like Jewish lawyer that went in and found a loophole somewhere. I'm not sure. Who's Jeremiah? So Jeremy is the guy that's about to give this prophecy. Jeremy, Jeremiah. Um, let's go. Am I 
Am I go oh, sorry. Lucy Short, $10. Thank you so much. Thank you all for being here. What do we got? How many people watching? 137, that's the 33rd Prime. Just want to make sure I didn't miss any of the super of the chats. Are you guys all are you guys all getting it? What a nasty bastard, yes. Okay. So let's go back here. So we're going to read this. It says, There was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, This is Matthew 2 17. And then it gives, so you're getting this whole story about Magi, Jesus born, Bethlehem, Magi come, give him some stuff. Herod's like, ah, oh, let's get him, then kill the children, then they left. And then, so, that, so this is the story thus far. Pretty straightforward, linear kind of story. Then, out of nowhere, it says this. Right, which is more prophecy being fulfilled, but it just seems completely out of place. Right, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying once again, prophecy fulfilled. In Rama, listen to this. In Rama was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. In Rama. Was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning? We, Rachel, weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not comforted. What's going on here? This is a prophecy that's, um, once again, it's being fulfilled. That was given in the Old Testament. This is Jeremiah. And he's called the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah talks a lot about the branch. So in other words, and we'll get into this at the end. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Jeremiah is calling out the prophet. Messiah is going to come and Jeremiah is prophesizing it. In those days at the time, will I, will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up uh, unto David, unto David, unto David. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. Okay, just hold on to that. It's going to be important. Um. Oh, I know. That's coming up. <laughs> okay. Okay, so, and then you read the prophecy around Jeremiah. I'm just going to just give you a little smattering here. Uh, it's really celebratory. It's like, okay, so Jeremiah is saying, hey, when this branch shows up, let's party. It's a celebration. Let's have a, let's have a gas and a dance and a few drinks. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to goodness of the Lord. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young and men old together. Uh, for I will turn their mourning into joy and their comfort, you know, uh, rejoice from their sorrow. And I will satiate the souls of the priests. All of this language talking about how glorious this is going to be when the Messiah shows up. The branch. The branch. A voice was heard. And this is the actual, the first um, prophecy. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rahel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Once again, prophecy. Uh, refrain thy voice from weeping and then eyes from tears. Thy work shall be rewarded and there is hope in thine end. This is a very positive thing. They're saying, God, dude, when this guy shows up, things are going to be great. Except it wasn't for those people. <laughs> <laughs> so, lamentation means the passionate expression of gr uh, grief or sorrow or weeping and that's exactly what's going on that's what's exactly happening in in matthew uh 2 18 here so there is a, 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 a we'll get to a morning we'll get to the uh, rachel morning what that means but the first thing is is what's rama in rama was there a voice heard what's rama 
Once again, this is we just covered how the Bible is basically saying, hey, look into comparative mythology. This is like this comes out of Egypt. Where does all this stuff actually come from? Ooh, look at upstairs, the canopy of the stars, astrology. That's how we're that's what we're following to find where Jesus is gonna rise. All of this stuff is astrological, right? So then it then it goes on to say this once again, very sort of like, what where's Rama? Who's Rachel? Why is she crying? What are the children? What is going on here? What's Rama? This is once again getting into comparative mythology. This is a reference to Hinduism. This is a reference to, it's not just Hinduism, as we'll see, but one of the most direct references is Hinduism. Um, Rama, which is the ram, pay attention. Rama, the ram, the Raman, the Ramar, the Ramakandra. He is the seventh and one of the most popular avatars of Vishnu. In Rama-centric traditions of Hinduism, he is considered the supreme being. So here we're saying, like in, like in Rama, there was a voice heard, lamentation, that sort of stuff. This is a classic legend, and it's not just found in Hinduism, as we'll see. It's found all over. Rama legends are also found in the texts of Jainism and Buddhism and Hinduism. All of these religions from the East. You know, like where the Magi came. From the East. Rama is mentioned as one of the 24 divine incarnations of Vishnu. Why 24? Why 24? What's the hours of the day? What is the Horus, the sun god? What is he doing? Does he have a relationship to number 24? Like the number of hours of Horus? What about Ramadan? Ramadan is a month-long religious holiday for Muslims. As a time of self-reflection and strengthening their relationship with God, Ramadan is dictated by the lunar cycle, beginning and ending with a crescent moon. Once again, a religious holiday dictated by what? Astrology the study of the stars. So, what is what is your Rama? Where where are they right now? Aries. It's your ram. Arise, Joseph, God said. Chibis. My lord. We got to get rid of our zoo, baby. It's time to Aries, the ram, the head, the lamb, the lamb. Boom. Okay? This is, why is it a ram? Why is the head considered the ram? There's got to be a reason for it. Look at your hippocampus. You've got two ram's horns right in your head. So your Rama, your Ramadan, your all of this sort of stuff. So this is your Rama. This is your head. Why do you think during Ash Wednesday, they put a cross right on your skull, right here, right in Golgotha, Calvary. You know where Jesus died and, you know, was put on the cross? Put it in the skull? I don't think, the, it's so crazy because I don't think the religion as far as Christianity could be any more blatant about the symbolism. And yet it seems to be completely lost on literally every every Christian that walks in on Ash Wednesday and puts the freaking thing on their head. What is that referencing to? It's literally like a crosshairs. To say what? The center of your head. It, you know, say what you want. The skull, Golgotha, Calvary, Aries. This point in your head is referenced in traditional religious practices and plainly found within the Hindu Bindu, a dot placed on the forehead of the spiritual devotee, as well as found prominently in the Christian Holy Day or Prayer of Fasting of Ash Wednesday. An ash cross is placed in the center of the forehead. Why? It's Aries. It's your lamb. That's your ram. 
The Hindu Bindu is considered the point at which creation begins and may become unity. Like Christ. The point where the creation begins, I am the beginning and the first and the last. Before Abraham was, I am. And then what happens when we when we go through a, a, a process of apio, uh, theosis or uh, tran, uh, transubstantiation of the soul? What are you getting to? Unity with God. And where, what are the Hindus saying? Rama. And then they're like, boom. <clears throat> Rama also means, in Spanish, branch. So Jeremy, who's talking about the branch, the branch, the branch, the branch is going to show up and everything's going to be great. And then there's a prophecy about a woman, Rachel, who's weeping. What is this at? What is, what is this? So we see Rama. This is all a reference to Aries, your ram, your head. Rachel is a major character in the early Old Testament. She was the daughter of Laban, sister of Leah, doesn't matter. Favored wife of Jacob and mother of two of Jacob's children. So she was, um, I don't think she had any children, but she, she was the mother of two of Jacob's children, which ended up being two of the 12 of the um, tribes of Israel. So listen, Rachel lived in Haran or Padam, Padan Aram. So Rachel lived in a place called Padan Aram, Aram. So Rachel lived in Aram. That's where she met her cousin, etc. Um, I'm not going to get into that. Rachel actually prefigures Mary. Mary, what is Rachel? As we're going to see, she's in, she's a prototypical archetypal figure of the like the mother of all being, right? Like Eve is called the mother of all living, right? What what Rachel is doing is is filling out the archetype of the mother of all living. She actually is prefiguring Mary here. This Mar this Rachel is the mother of Joseph. The one once again, there's a lot of stuff we can cover here. Got to go over this quick. The one with the coat of many colors. So she's the mother of this Joseph with the coat of many colors. She's actually a prefigurement of Mary. That Mary is this new Rachel, if you will, right? Uh, this matriarch of the Old Testament is buried near Bethlehem. And this is exactly where this is all going on, right? Bethlehem, the city of God, house of God. She has the role of intercessor. Mary is the new Rachel. Okay? I'm just going to... She is literally a mother of sorrows. We see that Rachel not only wept for her children who were in Babylon back in the day, but now weeps again as more of her children are slain at the hands of Herod, again near her resting place. So let's go back here. So we have this... this this prophecy by Jeremiah and say in Rama, in the Ram, where Rachel is, and she lives in Aram, there was a voice heard, a lamentation, a weeping, and a great mourning for Rachel, weeping for her children, uh, because of course, Herod just murdered all the children on the age of two. This woman is dead. Rachel's dead. She's not alive. So where is she weeping from? She's literally weeping from the dead. She's literally crying out from the metaphysical, ethereal, the realms of the dead at the atrocity and the, the, the true immorality of what's going on with King Herod. She's crying out from the dead is what's going on here. That's what Rachel, mother of sorrows. This is mother earth in, in this sense, playing this part, crying out from the dead where she, was, where she died in Bethlehem. Where this is all taking place. She is crying. This is, in a sense, Mother Nature, from the, from the egregiousness of the sin that's going on, the genocide that's happening, all of these people that are acting in direct um, opposition to God's will, Mother Nature itself is crying out from this. She's crying from the dead. 
That's how egregious the sins are of the kind of people of the ilk of King Herod and his family and his lineage and what he represents and who he was king over. And remember, all the people of Jerusalem and all the chief priests and all the scribes got together and they were all worried. Why? Because they were all guilty as sin. And now we're going to see that, in this sense, people from the dead, Mother Nature, the mother of all living itself, is crying out at at this. This leads us right into Egypt again. There is a story about Isis. So the, the one of the most common myths in um, Egypt is this, the Osiris myth. It's one of the most elaborate and influential stories in ancient Egypt. Basically, the god Osiris uh, was murdered by his brother Set. There he is again. Still Set, still working today in our skies. He a bunch of occultists. So um, Osiris, mur- uh, Osiris was murdered by his brother Set. And then Set basically scattered his pieces across the sands of Egypt. Isis went to retrieve them all. Didn't retrieve everything. Was one short. Then used a golden phallus to impregnate herself to give birth to Horus. Which means that Horus was born by a virgin. By miraculous means. Metaphysical means. Isis was not impregnated by Horus. Horus was impreg- Isis was impregnated by Horus by miraculous means. That sounds familiar. The remainder of the story focuses on Horus, and etc., etc. But basically what happens is Horus and Set, they rival, that sort of thing. And then ultimately um, there's a process in which Osiris is resurrected. So in other words, Osiris, there's a, there's a guy that was dead. And then he resurrected. Wow, it's like there's like similar themes. I, I don't know, you know, you, you tell me. But what does this have to do with uh, the crying and Rachel and weeping and the mother of sorrows? Because according to the ancient mythology, the Nile flood is none other than the tears of Isis who was mourning the death of her beloved husband, Osiris. So what happens in Egypt when the, the Nile rises? It's, it marks the, the, the rising of Sirius. That's what it does. So when the, when the Egyptians are like, oh, the, Ni- the Nile is flooding, this is, this is, this is um, prophesied by what? The rising of Sirius. And what happens when Sirius rises and the Egyptian Nile floods? Isis is weeping. Isis, who in Egypt is the mother of all living, is crying out. Because of, once again, Seth or Set or the Antichrist or the Anti-Horus was what? Engaged in wild, outrageous sin, murder, power, all this sort of stuff. And she cried out for that. So much so that the Nile flooded. And what, what, what was the problem? What, like, what called forth the, the Sirius? And what are we dealing with? In this whole story, Sirius, a star in the east. Awesome sermon. Sorry I was late today. Thank you so much. Heather Lindsay, $12. Thank you so much. Eric C. Thank you, Marty. 2711. I appreciate that so much, guys. Thank you so much. Does everybody get what's going on here? You guys get this? 
you see what what this is this is one of the things that you'll you'll find when you do comparative mythology that you'll find once again these similar themes and elements that will play out in all of these different religions. Now it's not going to be the exact same story. It's not going to be. The, but what you will find is it's like once you get past the exoteric and you get to the esoteric truth, you're going to find the same things. Mother Nature herself, in other words, is crying out at these people's outrageous sins. Nature reacts to you not following God's will in this sense. Jacob called, so when Rachel died, this is an Old Testy, Old Testament, she was buried, which is by Bethlehem. She was buried by Bethlehem. And right before that, um, Jacob, where God spoke to Jacob, he called the place Bethel. What is Bethel? City of God, house of God. Beth, house, El, God. Rachel, she was in Ramah, and she's weeping for what? The lamb, the ram, Christ. She's weeping because all these children were, were this Herod king wanted to kill Christ, and all these children died. What does Rachel mean? Rachel is a Hebrew name meaning you. The name Rachel is of a Hebrew origin, which is derived from the Hebrew word meaning you. What is a sheep? She, rams and females are ewes, and immature animals are lambs. So Rachel, who's in Rama, the Rama, who's from Aram, her name means what? Ram. When we're so, what is this all to do with? What What are we talking about here? Once again, this is all internal processes. You're talking about basically the the stars above, the canopy of the stars above, microcosm, macrocosm, as above, so below. The the stars above reflecting what's going on in here. Rachel, who means you, which is a sheep was in Rama, which is, and is from Aram, which is a lot of sheep, a lot of sheep. Now, when you're introduced to Rachel, the first thing in the Old Testament, this is Genesis 29, what do you find? Lots of sheep. That's all you find. Everything that's surrounding Rachel, her name means you, which means sheep, and she's from Rama, or she's, she's taught, there's a lamentation in Rama, and she's from Aram. <laughs> Rachel is his daughter, cometh with the sheep, and then water ye with the sheep, and then the flocks be gathered, together and water the sheep and then came with her her father's sheep and then rachel was oh went to the journey and the people from the east oh same thing in the old testy here and then what happens oh three flocks of sheep and then they watered the flocks of sheep and then there was the flocks gathered and then they watered the sheep and her name is you all of these things all of these references are there to pinpoint what's going on upstairs and what's going on upstairs. What's going on upstairs and what's going on upstairs. Okay, and with that said, show me the money. Here it is. Show me the money. Yeah. Oh, shit. You gotta do it. Uh, if you want to make a donation, that's right. Thank you. Uh, this church survives off your donation. So if you can, there's a light in the attic. That's right, John Gaggett. Uh, if you can, donate to the Academy and you can donate via these links. We've got Cash App and we have Buy Me a Coffee. You can also become a member at GnosticAcademy.org. 
Uh, your donations are what keeps this church running. So anything you can uh, give is amazing. So buymeacoffee.com, Gnostic Academy, and then uh, Cash App. And then once again, you can go to GnosticAcademy.org and all the donation buttons and that sort of thing are there. So I appreciate anybody that does help out the cause. Okay, let's keep going. So we know everything that's going on with Rama there, right? So in Rama, so this is a very important prophecy that's being fulfilled right now, right? So in Rama, in Rama, in the head of a ram, there was a voice heard, lamentation, weeping, and Rachel, which means you, and she was from a ram. And she's talking about what? This guy that wants to kill the lamb of God. And where does the sun rise in, in, our, in our astrological signs? The ram. And where is that? That's right here. Let's do some math. In Rama, was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. In Rama, was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Equals 480. So what? So what? So it equals 480. So once again, this is a very particular prophecy being fulfilled from the Old Testament. Obviously, there's an extra, you know, extra special something going on here, right? So let's look at the math. What does 480 mean to anybody here? I can guarantee it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Nobody, I'm sure nobody here has any reference or relationship to the number 480. What did we cover in our last live stream? The whole thing was about what? The Vescopisis. The portal, if you will, the, the womb, if you will, in which like Christ is emerging from. You see this as an architectural theme all over. This is found in cultures around the world, etc., etc., etc. There's specific math that is related to this Vescopisis. Specific, 265-153. We've covered, we covered this all last week. 265 and 153. 265 divided by 153 is the square root of 3. So once again, we found all this stuff within the last chapter. Specifically, the first verse giving us the this sort of mathematics. Okay? So we have this number 153, which is uber important in Scripture. 153. 153 fish is what Jesus said. Hey, disciples, you're in the boat. Cast a net to the right. You're going to catch a bunch of fish. And I'm going to tell you exactly how many fish you're going to catch. 153. Why? No Christian has any answer to this whatsoever because no Christian understands anything like this. Most Christians do not understand what's going on in the canopy of the stars, nor do they think that that has anything to do with what's going on in Scripture. The, what's going on in our modern world today is that all the tools necessary in order to truly understand Scripture, most Christians ignore. They reject. Okay? There's no way you're going to be able to understand any of this stuff unless you put your put your you know nose to the grindstone and learn a little bit of math. So, once again, Rama, 480 in English Gematria. Who cares? What does that mean anything except the fact that we just came from the last chapter talking all about this baby right here? 153. 153 times pi is 480.42. So 153, this right there, the same, literally the exact same thing that we got in the last chapter, pointing to this thing all day long. 153 times 3.14 is 480.42. 
Now, once again, we don't use des there's no decimals in English gematria. It's all whole numbers, you know, uh, natural whole numbers. So in other words, if you're going to encode this math, you couldn't encode the, you, you would either have to go 480 or 481. That's, you know, that's another reason why rule of Colella is important. That's another discussion. So in other, if you were going to encode this number, just like if you wanted to encode the base to slope pyramids, it, you, you, it's 51.84 degrees. So you're either going to go what? 52 degrees or 51. Both of those numbers are going to point to that. So here's your prophecy. And what does it tell you? 480. 480 times pi. Those two things, pi and 153, are literally exactly what they gave us in the last chapter. To the T. Three 14s. Then you did all the 42 generations and what did it give you? Pi. Then you looked at the number 42 and what did it give you? 13, 14, 15, which is pi. And then what was it all related to? The Vescopisis, which is what? That. So here's this thing, and it's all crying out, Rama, Lamb. What is this symbol? It's the Jesus fish, which is referencing what? The Lamb of God. Here's without the vowels. I know a lot of math. Don't worry, there won't be so much math moving forward. There's a lot in these first couple chapters. Um, here's without the vowels. <clears throat> Look at the number of letters. I'll go back. Look at the number of letters. Here's the... Um, excuse me, this is the consonants. This is the consonants. Sorry, did I say vowels? This is the consonants. Look at the number of letters. 76. This is the vowels. Look at the number of letters. 52. Out of Egypt, I was son. Consonants, 76. Vowels, 52. Consonants, 76. Vowels, 52. What is that? And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was wise in words and deeds. It's the proportions of the Great Pyramid of Giza, 76 and 52 in whole numbers. Once again, this, this whole thing is encoded in Let There Be Light. Same math that they're pointing to. First words out of God's mouth. So, there's your Rama, 153. 153 times pi is 480. There it is. It's exactly what we dealt with in the last chapter. Now, here's the consonants. This equals 300. Do you know what 300 is? It's the 24th triangular number. 300. If you add 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10, all the way to 24, do you know what it equals? 300. Well, why is that important? Well, we're dealing with Rama, right? The sun, Horus, Ram, the Aram, the Lamb. How many hours, how many Horuses in a day? 24. 24. Adding 1 through 24 is what? 300. What else? This leaves what? The vowels to be what? 180, which is what? The internal degrees of the triangle. Which is what? The Trinity. That's what we're dealing with. How many times, if you've been paying attention, if you have been uh, have been uh, attending church on the regular, which you should be, um, what is uh, what, what is the tri oh the triangle? That's related to God all day long. We got the Trinity. We got how many how many you know paintings and carvings and all this other stuff? Do we see God with a big triangle behind him? How many places, including Egypt, including Egypt, did we find the Trinity around the world? Three becoming one. 
And what is the, and knowing your, you know, basic math, your rudimentary elementary math, what is the internal degrees of that triangle? 180, what does that triangle reference? Jesus Christ, what is he? The ram, the lamb. All of this math within this one verse, 480, 153 times pi, which is exactly what we dealt with in the last chapter. That leads us to the square root of three, Vescopisis, all that sort of stuff. Rama, right? You have this, uh, this is the consonants, equals 300. Literally the 24th triangular number, 180. Then even giving you 76 letters. Look, 76, 52, 76, 52. 76, 52, and what does squaring the circle give you? 76 and 52. <sighs> Carrie Musgrave, I'm laughing. Thank you so much, Carrie. I appreciate that. Ruth Scott, 1919 again. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So, like I said, we actually found both of those numbers, by the way, in looking at this, which, um, sorry, let me just go back. I just want to make sure that I'm being Henry David. No. I don't know where it is. Sorry. Here it is. No, it's not. Where is it? Sorry. <laughs> there we go. Here. Uh, here we go. 76 and 52. So, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But okay, just wanted to show that. Let's move on. So, by the way, out of I've brought out of out of Egypt, I've I've called forth my son. Where where is all this stuff? By the way, it's Egypt. They're the Egyptian pyramids. By the way, when you study the mysteries, like when you get into Gnosticism, that sort of stuff, it will lead. I don't know how many books will end up leading you to the Egyptian mysteries. Because they are a mystery. We have no idea. You know, when you get into the study of Egyptology, it's just like, what? Like, what were these people doing? You know, it, a lot of the roads lead back to Egypt. And that's why you'll find it here as well. Um, just look at the back of your $1 bill. Okay. Let's do this. Okay. So, but when, now remember, Jeremiah, who gave us all that prophecy about the Rama and the Rachel and the ewes and the rams and the lambs and the weeping and all that sort of stuff. And the mother, literally the mother earth crying out in this sense. Um, then Jeremiah gave this prophecy. Jeremiah references what? Branch. Remember how many times he said branch, branch, branch. He's the branch. He's the prophecy. He's giving a prophecy in which Christ is going to fulfill and he's going to be the branch. Important. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise. Once again. Saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. So now Herod died. And so they're like, Okay, well, we're probably safe. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Arch Archelaus, and Archelaus is the son of King Herod, so you get King Herod, this genocidal maniac who liked his daughter dancing before him and was like, ah, yes, if you would like St. John's head on a platter, I will totally do that for you. That kind of thing. That dude. His son is now in charge. So not nothing better, you know, basically just, once again, sort of a carbon copy of his degeneracy and depravity. So uh, when Herod was dead, all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream, take the young child, uh, when heard that um, Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, 
He was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. So he took off. So he's like, I'm not going there because they'll, they'll probably kill Christ as well. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. Again, the same language being, being used, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. This is fulfilling the prophecy. This is every time you got to think about this. As far as like the old testy people, all the scribes and the Pharisees, the people of Jerusalem and like the kings of the Herods and stuff like that. Every time the New Testament says something like this, it's like turning the screws in them. It's like, oh, guess what? <laughs> that's, right, that's right. That's right, motherfucker. The prophecy is being fulfilled again. In other words, you're dead wrong. You're immoral, depraved. You're, you're, you're waiting for something that already showed up and you rejected that very thing. This is why it keeps reiterating this. It says, guess what? The prophecy's fulfilled. It's very much establishing within two chapters here just how wicked these people are. Am I getting through to you? Am I doing enough to get past the YouTube censors to make my case clear? Ruffians. Yes. Okay. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. What does Nazareth mean? That it might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Nazareth comes in Netzer. The Hebrew word Netzer was a promise of hope. The word as was used in Isaiah 11 pointed to the promise that Israel had been cut down like a felled tree and she would rise up again. This is, this, uh, this is Isaiah 11 here. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. Notice branch is capital. Capital. That's important. That's a pretty important branch that's going to be coming out. She'll grow out of his roots. So there's going to be a big tree that's cut down, but a a branch is going to grow up out of its roots. Its roots. You mean like the roots that we just covered last chapter? That Jesus was from, it's the first thing they gave us, right? Remember? Why? Because. So, uh, there came forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The roots. So this is the branch. Um... Judah would rise up like a shoot, and the people hoped for the coming of the branch that the prophets foretold would lead the people a Messiah. So the word branch um, is used in conjunction with Netzer, which is uh, Nazarene. The, na- the name of non-believing Jews gave to Jewish believers uh, in Jesus the Messiah was Nazarim. Uh, Nazarim, Nazarenes. That is, followers of the man from Nazareth, Nazareth, the town where Jesus lived most of his life. So they designated Jesus' followers by what they supposed was their leader's name. For we have found this man a pestilent fella. <laughs> Let's read this again. So they designated Jesus' followers by what they supposed was their leader's name, colon. For we have found this man a pestilent fella and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who had also had gone about profaning the temple. So uh, the Talmud refers to Jesus. Not, it's almost like Nazim, Nazi. It's like Nazarim, Nazi, or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, uh, gone about profaning the temple. So basically, Jesus was going around doing what? Quote-unquote profaning the temple. No, basically telling the Jews, just as we've the ruffians, just as we've covered before, you guys weren't following the law. You guys are actually the one that's being profane. And I'm the Messiah that you all prophesized. Everything's being fulfilled. I'm showing up and being like, uh-oh, you guys uh, you guys got a lot to answer for. 
In all likelihood, the name Nazarim was de deprecatory, de de you know, depreciating. De deprecatory means like, you know, it's a, it's a, a slam. But in, t in uh, time, Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus to bear proudly the name. So uh, in the word in modern Hebrew for Christians means Nazarim. So in other words, the Gentiles. And they're represented by Netzer, which means what? Branch. Branch. Who is the branch? Jesus. From the verb Natser, to consecrate oneself. The branch or the shoot. So when they said, ah, Israel's cut down. There's going to be, and then there's prophecy. There's going to be a new tree. There's going to be a branch that grows out of it. And that branch is going to be our Messiah. And our Messiah is going to come and save us. And then the branch shows up. Their Messiah, all the prophecies fulfilled, and the message he brought was the message that they didn't want to hear. And hence, we're in the situation that we are in today. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Revelation twenty-two sixteen. I am the root and the offspring. He's literally saying, I'm the root of David. And I am the offspring of as eternal God, Jesus is the source and the creator of David's line. As we know, I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Before Abraham was, I am. That means he is not just the new shoot and the branch. He is also the very root. He's the entire tree of life, in other words. They thought the tree that was going to grow up out of Israel and then, you know, and that was going to be the Messiah and this is, the, and they were going to come and they were going to eat from the tree of eternal life and stuff. And then that's not what happened. Christ shows up and has a different message. And he is the tree. He is the branch. Just as they prophesize. What is this tree of life? The very center of the earth is represented in the heavens by the pole star of players. You can look, go, come out to my house right here and we'll go up right and look at the night sky right there. Players right there. You can see it. This peak or uppermost summit part of the firmament has long been symbolized in numerous ways. Sometimes that being a large mountain or enormous tree. Now there actually could be an enormous tree and mountain in the North Pole or something like that too. But because we can't go there, we don't know. But symbolically, what is the mountain or the tree? It's the canopy of the stars. The summit the peak of that tree, the summit of the mountain, is what? The pole star, Polaris. The Norse in their poetic Edda declare the Yggdrasil to be the central tree that exists in the center of the earth. We find the Genesis narrative speak of the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, with the mist meaning middle. And so what is in the middle of the canopy of the stars? The pole star. So yet again, we find a tree in the middle. According to Britannica, the world tree, also called the cosmic tree, the center of the world, is a widespread motif in many myths and folk tales among various preliterate peoples, especially in Asia, Australia, and North America. This is, once again, cross-cultural comparative mythology. You're going to realize that this stuff that you find all throughout Christianity and all throughout Judaism as well is like, oh, it's, it's all pagan stuff. It ain't the pagans either. It's God's, guys. You want to find the source of where all this stuff comes from? Yeah, the Christians just ripped off the pagans and the pagans had the stuff. No. No, 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 no. <clears throat> Wrong. It all comes from one source, and that's God Almighty. Hence why you find the world tree or a central mountain in cultures across the world. Is it this, the central mountain? Is it just a Christian thing? To summarize the mountain or central tree that is being symbolized here is that of the stars themselves, with Polaris being the peak of the summit of the entire celestial canopy. The tree in the midst of the garden is our living tree of life and is the very one we wish to eat from as it is symbolic of eternal life. 
In Revelation, we read from this, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. That's a reference to what? Calendars. Cycles of time. There's a tree. There's one for every month. You mean like what the sun dictates? And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this tree is a, is a oh, what do you call it? A, oh, a universal panacea kind of thing, right? In this sort of sense. That's probably the wrong term to use. But it's, you know, it's basically this idea. It's like, oh, everybody eats from this. You're going to be fine. You're going to have eternal life. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it. There, the throne of God and the Lamb are in this tree, and it's the tree of life that grows up from the center, and his, and his servants shall serve him. From the central throne of God and of the Lamb rises a tree bearing fruit for the healing of all nations. This tree is within you. This is the Axis Mundi. In astronomy, Axis Mundi is the Latin term for the axis of Earth between the celestial poles. That's the tree. It's the axial earth between the celestial poles in the geocentric coordinate system. That's where we are. It's geocentric. This is the axis of the rotation of the celestial sphere. The axis mundi was always referenced to the axis, once again, as above, so below, microcosm, macrocosm sort of thing. What's out there happens in here. What's going on upstairs is what's going on upstairs, in other words. So that tree is what is being, that's what Christ is referencing. He's saying, I am the tree. I am that tree of life. And what is that tree of life? This here is a reference to that. The tree of life. It's a Kabbalistic symbol. That's what the tree of life is. It's Kabbalistic. That's why Adam is the Adam Secundus, right? Jesus is the second Adam. You have the first Adam, which is what? The Adam Kadmon. And then Jesus that was born of the earth earthy. And then Jesus comes along. He was born of the Spirit. And he becomes this Adam Secundus, the second Adam, the final Adam. That's Jesus Christ represented as the first, as the literally the Adam Kadmon in, in Kabbalah. And that Adam Kadmon goes back onto the tree of eternal life. This is what this symbol, one of the things, one of the various things that this symbol means. What else is this symbol referencing? The solar year. Do you know an analema Right, an analema, this path of the sun. Do you know what the, when you, when you encode an analema, it's got a long part and then it's got a short part. And it's got a, long, a big hoop and then a short one. And then the sun over our flat stationary plane of earth, our sun over our flat stationary plane of earth actually makes, is the, the, the whole idea is there's like bigger circles and smaller circles, hence cause the analema. What is this? This is the solstices and equinoxes. And what is it doing? Is there a part where it's shorter and a part that's longer? And what is on here? The sun. And what did, what did we start this chapter doing? The Magi brought some gifts because they're like, we followed astrology and we know where the sun is going to rise. And we're going to follow that because why? Because God dictates that. Because it's truth. Not what some King Herod thinks or all the scribes and priests of Jerusalem. Who cares? That king didn't even know where the sun was going to rise. Well, if that king didn't know where the sun was going to rise and all those cheeks and 
the chief priests and the scribes and all those people, they didn't know where the sun was going to rise. Do you think that they knew where the sun was going to rise in them? Jennifer and I, were, when we were in Germany, we were perusing all those fantastic cathedrals. This was one of the things. I remember stopping at this one. I'm like, oh my God, Jennifer, look at this. Look at this. That's wood. I mean, that's that's a stonework. That's, sto- that's stonework there, guys. Look at it. Do you, do you not feel like a total asshole? Don't, what, like, I feel like a total slacker, man. <laughs> do you think I could ever do something like that? How long would it take me to do that? So there's God. And out of his side, he's laying, he's laying like this, right? He's got his nice thermarest down there. He's got a nice camping pad. And growing out of his side is what? Tree of life. Tree of eternal life. I believe there's 12 manner of fruits there. And then at the top there, what's that? That's Mary suckling Jesus. Because he's the branch and he's the root. He is eternal life. Okay, that's going to do it. What do we got here? Cody Van Dyke, thank you so much. Did you guys enjoy that? Um, Cody Van Dyke, 25. Thank you so much, my brother. Thank you so much. And Ruth Scott, okay. I just want to make Carrie Musgrave. I'm laughing. Okay, we got those. Okay, I want to make sure I didn't miss anything here. Did you? 25 twice? Is that what's going on here? Or am I just? Okay, never mind. Okay, cool. Thank you. Did you guys get that? Was that cool? Um, hopefully you guys were, like I said, next week we'll do uh, welcome to the Academy and then I'll do a, um, then we'll probably get back on Matthew. And then I want to do a, a, a review of maybe like 10, 15 books that I would highly recommend for your guys's reading pleasure. Okay. Um, thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Another great one. Thank you so much. Thanks for all the support. If you do guys get a chance, uh, stopping over to Gnostic Academy, you can become a member for $14 for three months or 54 for the year. It's super cheap. I don't know anybody that has a site that's as cheap as this. And I keep it cheap because I want to um, want to get as many people as I can signed up. And, and I know people, once again, um, they're in you know financial straits and all that sort of stuff. So um, lots, of play, lots of ways to donate, lots of books, lots of things to purchase. Lot, everybody's been loving the, the, the rosary packages. Like we've gotten great, uh, you know, Great reviews on that. Everybody loves the Bible. It's really easy to read. They're small. Um, it's you know. It's, I I really I'm really proud of the package that we put together. So I hope you guys uh, do enjoy that. Jennifer and I were talking about possibly this next year. We just started talking about this about doing a um, get your guys' thoughts on this and email me if you're interested in this. I'll bring it up a few more times. But we're talking about doing maybe a a few week backpacking trip like through the Appalachians. I'm, we're thinking. Maybe do like three weeks, maybe a month or something like that and do it sort of as like a church gathering sort of thing. So I'm not sure how many people are hikers or if they, if there's any through hikers here or that people have done backpacking, but we were thinking we wanted to do something that would be really unique and, you know, um, that sort of thing. So we were thinking, yeah, do a backpacking trip and then people could just, you know, get an itinerary and then people could join in when they could if they they can only hike for two days or a day or so and join us up, you know, join and camp out and that sort of thing. So this is something we were kind of mulling over and thinking about. So let us know if that's something you guys would be interested in. Um, and if we can get enough people together, we'll we'll do it um, because I, th- I think it would be cool. I think it would be really cool. And then also I got... Um, uh, Perspective 96, thank you so much. I got a message from him talking about 
um, having his campground as a site to do some sort of gathering or something. Um, so that would be really cool as well. So I'm not sure, but, you know, it would be, I don't know, that would be next year, but it would be something I think would be really cool. Get a gathering for a few days, talk shop, you know, meet everybody, that sort of thing. So um, Jennifer and I are possibly looking at moving next year and we're sort of scouting out places. And so um, we're looking at South Carolina, possibly Missouri, that sort of thing. So we'll see. Lots going on next year, but as well as the new book, which I'll get back to writing this week and hopefully out by Christmas. No promises. Okay, that's going to do it. You would love that? Yeah, Ben Krupa will be hard for me. I know there's a lot of people that probably can't do it, but if there's enough people, uh, Montana dude, I know, honestly, that's what we should do is Glacier. Go meet Small Axe because Glacier, my Lord. You guys been to Glacier? Glacier's retarded. It's so beautiful. It's uh, Glacier is just fantastic. One of my favorite hikes was in Glacier. I did five, six days through Glacier, something like that. Yeah, yeah, Glacier National Park. Brah, brah. Okay, so live stream together. That'd be cool. Okay, so that's going to do it for me, guys. Um, yeah, that's it. Next week, like I said, we'll do, um, I don't know what we'll do. I think we'll do the Welcome to the Academy. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for me. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, May his grace be with you all. Amen. Okay, we're going to listen to a song uh, from this band called, they're not—they're no longer together, but they were, they were called the Westside Andy and Mel Ford Band. Back when I was playing in a band a long time ago, we played at this place called Jimmy's. And we played Thursday night, my band, and then this blues band played Wednesday night. And this guy, Mel Ford, used to uh, play there. He's the guitar player in this band. And so I got to sit, and this guy's just a fantastic blues player. You know, just... I mean, I got to sit in front of this guy and just watch him. You know, I grew up around a lot of like really great blues players just, you know, north of Chicago. So a lot of really great blues players came through our, um, sorry, I'm just rambling now. But the band that I was in at the time, we had a, um, um, uh, what were they called? Uh, basically, not producer, but basically guy that ran the band. What did they call? Anyway, and he used to booking agent, that sort of stuff he would do. And so I got to meet like all of these crazy good blues musicians because he would book a lot of these bands like all over Wisconsin and Illinois and stuff like that. So this Jimmy's place we used to play, I used to sit in front of this guitar player and watch him play. And this guy's just just great tone. No, no like pedals, no like tricks or anything like that. Literally just an E3, you know, E3335, you know, Gibson and an amp and just crushing it. So fantastic guitar player. So this is the West Side Andy and Mel Ford Band. And I'm not sure what this song is called, but it's an instrumental and it's fantastic. So, all right, that's going to do it for me, guys. I will see you next week. Thank you all for the support. Thank you for being here. It means the world to me. You guys are fantastic. Love this church. Love this community. Great people, man. Great people. So, I will see you guys on the flip side next Sunday. We'll do it. All right. As always, many blessings and much love to all.
Remember that? Thank you very much. Right now, I'm going to turn the microphone over to Mr. Malfoy. Put your hands together for Malfoy.